Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Amen. So let's jump right into the Word. I want to look at Nehemiah today. And before we read our text, I want to give you a little bit of backstory so you can kind of understand what's going on. Uh, The book of Nehemiah largely takes on the form of kind of a first-person memoir by Nehemiah about his own life. Nehemiah was a Hebrew who was living in Persia. He was a high official in the Persian court serving the king. Uh, After hearing, though, about a bad report from one of his brothers about the Jews who had survived the Babylonian uh, exile and also the condition of Jerusalem, the Bible says that he was moved with compassion to want to help them in that situation. He wept. He mourned for days. Uh, You can turn it down just a hair, Kevin, in the monitor. He wept and he mourned for days, and finally he went to the king, and he asked for his permission to go to Jerusalem because he wanted to help the people. He wanted to rebuild the walls. He had the favor and the blessing of the king, so not only did the king send him, but he appoints him as governor of Judah. He gives him everything that he needs, gives him everything that he wants, and Nehemiah travels to Jerusalem, and there he oversees the rebuilding of the walls. And despite a lot of opposition from Israel's enemies. And he also begins to institute a return back to the law of Moses, to the things of God with the Hebrew people. Amen. So there was a lot of reformation and reform that was going on with Nehemiah and the people. And folks, I want to tell you, the rebuilding of these walls was a significant task. Amen. Not only were they an obvious form of physical protection from the enemy, but they were also a very important symbol of the reestablishment of the Jews as a people, particularly in the land that God had promised to Abraham. And by the way, don't forget that. In the middle of everything you're hearing going on, God gave that land to Abraham and his children many, many years ago. Amen. The holy city of Jerusalem became a unifying force as families were chosen by lot to come back and live there. Amen. You had to enter the lottery in order to get to move back to Jerusalem. But in the middle of all this significant work, some of the enemies of Israel, they continually tried to distract Nehemiah from the work. They continued to try to stop what was going on. And that's where I want us to pick up the story today in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 1. And it says this, Then Sambalot and Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and our other enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there was not one gap in it. But I had not yet set the doors in the gates. So Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, Nehemiah, let's meet together in Kephirim on the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. Amen. So I sent messengers to them with this answer. I am doing a great work And I can't come down. Amen. I don't want to stop while I leave to meet with you. Everybody say, I'm doing a great work. And I can't come down. 
So my message today really could kind of be considered a prequel to the sermon series that I'm going to start next week. And maybe today I'm going to lay a little bit of groundwork to get us started. I want to preach on this subject, don't come down. Don't come down. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the people of God that are here today or those that are watching online. Let the word be alive. Let it challenge us. Let it change us. Let us apply it in Jesus' name. Ever said amen? Amen. Amen. Now, it's no secret that we live in a day, and it's been this way for quite a while, that there's an all-out assault on the traditional family, on the home, on the institution of marriages, and just on Christian life in general. Amen? Can I get a little amen from the house today? Now, not only does it just seem like uh, basic morals have gone out the window, in many cases, it seems like just good old common sense has gone out the window as well. Satan is warring to destroy everything that we hold sacred today. And, uh, and many in our culture, they are just jumping right on the bandwagon. Next week, I'm going to talk about why the, what we believe really does matter, not just to us, but to everyone and everything around us. And our world is searching for answers to the dilemma that we are facing. Now, I'm not going to get into specific issues or cultural confusions today because I'm going to start unpacking some of those things in the next six weeks. But there is a lot that is going on around us. That might be the understatement of the year. There's a lot going on around us. Amen. And I, for one, believe that we as believers, we need not just scream about what we are against. Amen. We don't need to just get red-faced and hold up our protest signs. We can't just rave against everything we disagree with. But we need to instead, we need to present biblical truths unapologetically in a loving and consistent way to the world around us. Let me say that again. We need to present biblical truths unapologetically in a loving way to the world that is around us. Hear me, you cannot let politicians dictate the agenda. Come on, they can't even elect the Speaker of the House. What a clown show right now. Amen? Come on, we can't let Hollywood set the standard. They don't have a clue, and their moral compass broke a long time ago. Amen? We certainly cannot let social media lead us like blind sheep off the edge of the cliff. Because the extremes on social media are not the real world at all. Those people, they're not even those people. Amen. See, there are right and wrongs. There are good and evil. There is truth and lies. And when we are on the right side of truth, the message has got to be clear. Amen. Don't come down. Don't come down. We need to get back to reading our Bibles and praying for discernment before we start deciding what we think is right or wrong. Amen? Come on, we can't just pick and choose what we want with no consideration to what the Word of God says and what common sense tells us. And I think sometimes we miss the big picture of what is actually going wrong around us. Amen? Come on. We blame violent video games or television or music or social media or wokeism. And and certainly these things all are contributing to the hot mess that we're in right now. Amen? Come on. And they are partially responsible. But hear me. The real problem, 
The root of the problem is the fact that we live in a world of moral compromise and shaky foundations. And that's just the church folks I'm talking about. (laughs) Moral compromise, shaky foundations, that's Christianity. Amen. Not to mention the world. See, we can't blame the devil and a corrupt society for everything going on around us without, everybody say without, accepting any of the blame ourselves for what has gone wrong. We've replaced godly lifestyles, godly morals, and godly fear with a worldly system. Amen. And with parents and leaders and school boards and politicians and even churches that are now full of compromise. Amen. Come on, this might be week one of seven instead of the prequel. Amen. There was a popular radio commentator named Paul Harvey. Some of you will remember him. If you raise your hand, we know you're old. Go ahead. Paul Harvey had an extremely popular daily radio program that reached millions of people from 1951 to 2008 called The Rest of the Story. Anybody remember The Rest of the Story? My parents used to love to listen to him. And then when I got older, for probably the last 10 years, I used to enjoy listening to Paul Harvey as well. Now, at one point, he had over 24 million listeners, so he wasn't just somebody to laugh at. Amen. He was kind of that generation's Ben Shapiro or Rush Limbaugh. If that makes a little more sense to you all. Amen. After the Columbine uh, school shootings in 1999, which rocked our country, rocked our world, Paul Harvey gave a stirring commentary about guns. Now, I'm not going to weigh in on gun control or gun issues today. I I don't think that's necessary from the pulpit today. But I want you to hear the bigger message of Mr. Paul Harvey's commentary uh, and what he said during this time. Are you ready? I'm just going to read you the, the, uh, the, the wording of his uh, statement. He, it was titled, How Can We Blame It All on Guns? Paul Harvey. For the life of me, I can't understand what could have gone wrong in Littleton, Colorado. If only the parents had kept their children away from the guns, we wouldn't have had such a tragedy. Yeah, it must have been the guns. It couldn't have been because of half our children being raised in broken homes. It couldn't have been because our children get to spend on average 30 seconds of meaningful conversation with their parents every day. After all, we give our children quality time. It couldn't have been because we treat our children as pets and our pets as children. It couldn't have been because we place our children in daycare centers where they learn their socialization skills among their peers under the law of the jungle while employees who really have no vested interest in the children just look on and make sure that no blood is spilled. It couldn't have been because we allow our children to watch on average over seven hours of TV a day. Which, by the way, now it's just been replaced by tablets and iPads and YouTube and cell phones. Amen? Filled with the glorification of sex and violence that is not fit for adult consumption. It couldn't have been because we allow our children to enter into virtual worlds in which to win the game one must kill as many opponents as possible in the most sadistic way possible. I wonder what Paul Harvey would think about today's games. Amen? It couldn't have been because we have sterilized and contracepted our families down to sizes so small that the children do not have and are spoiled with material things that they come to equate the receiving of the material with love. It couldn't have been because our children who historically have been seen as a blessing from God are now being viewed as either a mistake created when contraception fails or inconveniences that parents try to raise in their spare time. 
It couldn't have been because our nation is the world leader in developing a culture of death in which 20 to 30 million babies have been killed by abortion. It couldn't have been because we give two-year prison sentences to teenagers who kill their newborns. It couldn't have been because our school systems teach the children that they are nothing but glorified apes that have evolved out of some primordial soup of mud by teaching evolution as fact and by handing out condoms as if they were candy. It couldn't have been because we teach our children that there are no laws of morality that transcend us, that everything is relative, and that actions don't have consequences. What the heck? The president got away with it. No, it must have been the guns. Amen. See, my point, and I believe the point of Paul Harvey was, we've got to stop playing the blame game and look past what we see right in front of us. And we really need to try to figure out what's going on beneath the surface. Amen. And when we see truth, we've got to be like Nehemiah. See, the enemy of God's agenda will try to pull us away from the work that God is intending for us as the body of Christ and believers to do. The enemy of your, enemy of your soul will say, stop doing God's work. Come down off your high moral wall and let's just work out a compromise. And when society tells the church that we are hopelessly out of date, that our traditional morals and our views are woefully out of touch, we got to get a backbone and we got to stand up like Nehemiah and say, no, we're doing a good work and we cannot, we will not come down. Come on, somebody. You can do it with love. But we got to do it unapologetically. Somebody has got to be a voice for truth and common sense in this generation. Amen. We got to build a church that is based on truth and grace and love. But at the same time, we don't have to come down. See, we believe that you don't have to stay addicted. We believe you don't have to stay depressed. We believe that you are not doomed to failure. Amen. Children of God, don't come down. Hold your head up high. Come on, we don't have to come down. We don't have to apologize for believing God's word still matters. Come on, somebody. Amen. Morality still matters. Character still matters. Integrity still matters. Honesty still matters. Come on, don't come down. Don't come down. Folks, I know it can be challenging to live in a place that God wants us to live in this day and age. It is not easy to stand for true holiness and righteous living when everybody around you is pressuring you to go in the other directions. But in the words of Nehemiah, we're doing a great work. Don't come down. See, it's not true Christianity if we continue to water down the product. Have you noticed with all the inflation going on, has anybody noticed the size of the bag of chips that you get now. I mean, you pop the seal and there they go, in a cloud of dust. You look in the bag. Amen. I looked in a bag of Oreos that my wife bought. Yeah, I still eat those sometimes. And I, I ripped the little seal off and I looked. And not only was the bag smaller, and those double stuffs, that is a lie from the devil, amen. That used to be normal stuffs in my day. <laughs> but I looked, and I'll be doggone if the top section didn't have empty spaces. I thought, they're just downsizing. They're watering down everything, amen? 
They're making everything. And you know what? We're trying to do it in the church. Well, let's just take a couple of these things out because nobody's going to notice. Let's just pour a little bit more water in the soup so it can go a little bit further. Amen. Come on. Let, let's, let's, let's quit spicing it up so much. Let's quit. You don't got to get red in the face and have your neck veins pop out when you talk about the Bible anymore. Amen. Don't talk about abortion. Don't talk about transgender. Don't talk about pornography. Don't talk about social ills because it's going to get real quiet. Let the schools tell the kids what they need to know. Come on, let the politicians tell them what they need to know. Let Hollywood celebrities, come on church, we are doing a good work, a work that only we can do. Come on. There's a role in society for doctors. There's a role in society for lawyers. There's a role in society for counselors and teachers, amen. But there is a role in society for the church, for the body of Christ. We better embrace it, and we better get up on the wall and tell Sambalot and tell Tobiah, sorry, boys, I can't come down. I got a wall to build. I've got a community to restore, amen. I can't come down. Somebody give God a praise in this house right now. Hallelujah. Pastor's too hard living for God that way. Consider the cost. The cross is too great to carry. Don't come down. This is the 21st century. We don't need to do that stuff anymore. Don't come down. Be a Nehemiah to your generation. There's another guy in the Bible who wouldn't come down. His name was Joseph. He heard the cry, come down, come down. Matter of fact, the hurt cry he heard was, come on over here, big boy. Yeah. <laughs> if he'd have heard that, I would have ran too, amen. <laughs> Here's part of Joseph's story. Man, you talk about a story. Yeah. Read the story of Joseph. Yeah. He'd already been sold as a slave by his own brothers. But I want to pick up part of his story right here, Genesis 39.1. Are you ready? Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. But let me just stop and say, God will bless you right where you are if you choose to live with integrity. Come on, somebody. I don't care if the Ishmaelites sold you. I don't care if they bought you from your own brothers. Come on, somebody. God will bless you right in the middle of the Egyptian house. Verse 3. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed his household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, look at this verse. I'm not going to talk about it. I love this. He did not concern himself with anything. Except That's the kind of life you want to live, by the way. You want to be the kind of person that when somebody, they said, you know what, I trust that guy. I don't have to worry about anything. If he says it, that settles it. He said Potiphar didn't even worry about anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Ding, ding, ding. 
Here comes the alarms. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. So here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. No. <laughs> Verse 8. But he refused. Hallelujah. You know what? I, he, it doesn't say he might have wrestled with it. I don't know. It doesn't say that he prayed and fasted about it. It doesn't say that he struggled with it. It doesn't say he took 10 cold showers and finally said, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not coming over there, Mrs. Potiphar. He refused. But look what he said. With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He understood his call. He understood his priority. He understood his work. Everything he owns has been entrusted in my care. I'm on the wall. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How many, how many of you know that the devil always does that? He gives you everything and he tempts you with the one thing you don't have. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Verse 10, and though he spoke to Joseph day after day. Though she spoke to Joseph day after day. Come, This wasn't just a one-time invitation. Day after day. Like a dripping faucet, amen? Like a, just a, a, a drum that just continues to be day after day. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. I cannot come down. Young, single. The Bible even went as far as to say well-built and handsome. Turn, all you ladies that are here, turn to your husband and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> He's talking about you. Mrs. Potiphar makes her move, but Joseph doesn't take the bait. He refuses to come down. Amen. Come on. This story is not unlike so many stories we see today. A man or a woman can be taken in by flattery. We roll the dice on relationships with our spouses, or more importantly, with our walk with God. An opportunity to come down off a high wall of moral integrity places itself. But instead of the willpower of a man, we, uh, 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 I'm sorry, but instead you've got the willpower of a man like Joseph who said, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should I stop what I've been called to do? Why should I mar my reputation? Why should I endanger my walk with God to come down to you and compromise? Instead of a one-night stand, Joseph took a stand. Come on, amen? And he said, I'm going to do what's right. And that's the attitude of a champion, a man or a woman of God that is willing to pay the price for their greatness. Joseph was a man who was willing. Man, he didn't just say no. My boy went to jail. Read the story. Mrs. Potiphar got so mad, she made up a lie. And she took his coat. And she actually told her husband that Joseph, he went to jail. Went to prison. Where God also blessed him. Because he said, I'm not going to compromise. You know what we need, church? We need some Holy Ghost grit in our crawl. Come on, somebody. Amen. That we can look at the enemy and look him in the eye and say, you know what? The work I'm doing is great. I'm not going to come down. Nehemiah refused to come down. Joseph refused to come down. You know another man who refused to come down? John the Baptist. He was another example of one who could have easily come down. If he would have just preached a little less hard. If he would have been just a little bit more culturally appropriate. 
If he would have been just a little bit more sensitive to his audience, he was in the midst of powerful people. But he didn't. His preaching cost him his life. And hear me, John knew beforehand the risk that was involved when he challenged King Herod's morals. Here's just part of the story, Matthew 14 and 3. Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife, Herodias. There it is again, one of them wicked women, amen. (laughs) The former wife of Herod's brother, Philip. There's where the problem comes in. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry her. And look at Herod's response. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. First of all, Herod wanted him dead, but he was too politically uh, uh, much of a coward. He was afraid to do what he thought he should do because he didn't want a riot on his hands. But then when you read the story, Herod made this bad deal with his uh, daughter. He made this and ended up having to kill John and bring his head to his wife on a platter. John's preaching cost him his life because he would not come down. Life Church, I'm imploring us. Don't be one of those Christians who are just standing on the wall doing a good work, but we're constantly looking back at what we left on the ground. Constantly looking back at the opportunities that we could have had or we think we could have had. When Nehemiah heard the cry from the ground, he told Tobiah and Sambalite, he said, I'm not coming down. I'm not going to compromise my work. I'm not going to compromise my vision. Somebody needs, needs to tell the Tobiah in your life, I will not come down. I will not come down. Tell Sambalite, I'm not coming to your party. Amen. I'm not going back to where I used to be. There is no compromise with you because I understand that you only want to do me harm. Folks, we've got to stop and remember that there is, his compromise is not just he wants to destroy us. The enemy of our soul wants to kill us. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy God's kingdom. Amen. I want the praise team and musicians to come. One time the apostle Paul had a chance to buy his way out of a situation. He was in jail with Governor Felix. Here's what the record says in this way. Look at Acts 24, 25. I love this story. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Come on. There's some strong preaching right there. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. But now notice Felix's motive, verse 26. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked to him. Paul, every time you come, you're all up in my face about righteousness and all this stuff. You know what? Go back to jail for a couple days. I want this to set with you just a little bit. And then he called him back. And the Bible says the whole time, Felix was hoping that Paul would give him a bribe And then he was just going to let my boy go. You know, it must have been quite a surprise for this bribe taker, for this crooked politician, to look into the face of a man that refused to compromise and refused to bow to the system. By the way, if your excuse is everybody else is doing it, that's not a good excuse. Come on, somebody. 
You know what Paul stood on? Here's what Paul told Felix in verse 16 of Acts 24. He said, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. See, Felix, you're not going to get me with a little bit of uh, of freedom. I'm not just going to throw a few dollars in front of you and then just walk free. No, no, no. You put me in jail. You're going to deal with me. You're not going to buy me off. And if it ends with my life, so be it. I'm going to have a what? A clear conscience before God and man. And you know what I found? I, this isn't Bible. I'm just going to tell you from my own experience. If I don't have a clear conscience with you, it messes up my clear conscience with God. Amen. Don't come down. But as I close, there's one more man that I want to tell you about that refused to come down. And no doubt he was the greatest example of them all. On a cruel instrument called a cross. On a cruel death known as crucifixion. There was a man who was no ordinary man who was dying no ordinary death. It would take him the better part of a day to finish his work. And with people taunting him and people mocking him, Jesus hung on a cross. And he didn't say it with words, but he said it with his actions. I could call for 10,000 legions of angels. And man, wouldn't that make a statement? But no, there's a better plan. And I will not come down. I will not come down. I've got to shed my blood. I've got to give my life. So the world can be saved. In Matthew 27, Jesus had his own sambalots that were there that day. Verse 39, those who passed by him hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourself. They were mocking him. (coughs) They were using his own words against him. And look what they said. Come down from the cross if you really are the son of God. Man, I don't know what it must have been like for Jesus, but I'm just going to tell you right now, in that moment, I would have wanted to jump off that cross and give him a big power flex and do a big old uh, Superman move up through the sky and come down and plant my feet and say, how about that? That he didn't do it. Verse 41, in the same way, the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. Now the religious crowd is chiming in. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. Come on down. Come on down. And then we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. Because he said, I'm the son of God. The answer of Jesus, although in silence, was the same one that Nehemiah gave. Was the same one that Joseph gave was the same one that Paul gave I'm doing a great work and I can't come down I want you to stand with me right now all over this house today you and I have been saved in this hour because Jesus Christ would not compromise the price of our salvation he would not come down but today I want to open this altar Some of you, you've been listening to the cries of Sambalot and Tobiah. 
You've been listening to the crowd trying to pull you. You've been listening to Mrs. Potiphar, amen. You've been listening to the, the elders and the thieves next to you. You've been listening to all these voices that are trying to say, I just want you to compromise. I want you to give up. I don't want you to stand anymore. You know what I would love to see us do? I'd love to see us step out from our chairs as a church family and come to this altar and say, Lord, I will not, I cannot come down. You have called me to be salt and light, first of all, to my family. You've called me to be salt and light to my community. You've called me to be salt and light to my, to my job, to my friends. God, I will not come down. I'm going to live the way you've called me to live. I'm going to be who you've called me to be. I want to open this altar right now. Would you come? Make a statement of faith right now. Come on. And lift your hands and say, God, I'm not coming down. I'm not coming down. Come on, I'm not going to come down. I've got a great work to do. I'm not coming down. I've got children that depend on me. I've got grandkids that are watching me. I've got co-workers that want to see if I'm the real deal. I want to have a clear conscience with God and with man. I can't be both. Felix, you can't buy me. Miss Potiphar, you can't tempt me down. You can't compromise me down. Come on. I'm going to be what you call me to be. That's right. Yes, God. I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to stand for
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, an interesting part of the story, I didn't, I didn't share this in the sermon, and then I'm going to close it out and you come on up. I think we got somebody getting ready to be baptized. Beautiful. Isn't that great? Amen. You know what's really cool about how Nehemiah had them rebuild the wall? Guess what he did? He had every man in every family rebuild the section of wall in front of their house. Now you tell me if that's not a strategy that will win. Marty, I got the section of wall for you to build, but guess what? Your house is behind this. So if you do take a shortcut, if you don't do it right, if you think that you can just slap any old thing up, guess who's going to pay the price? Your family's going to pay the price. Oh, man, what a strategy. You know what? When you're building, you need to realize behind the wall you're building are your kids and your grandkids. Come on, somebody. Your ministry, the people that you're witnessing to. Come on. And guess what? I'm going to build a wall that when the enemy comes in front of my wall, he says, no, I got to go find a crack in a wall somewhere else. I got to go find somebody else to take down. Amen. So today I want you to say, I'm going to go home. And if you got to rebuild, I'm gonna, and if you got to start from scratch, maybe you messed up royally. Guess what? I'm wiping the slate clean today. I'm getting out the shovel. I'm going to redig the footers. I'm going to pour some concrete in. I'm going to lay some rebar. I'm going to get the foundation right. I'm going to buy the best blocks that I can find. And I'm going to start building again. 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 And I will not come down from the task that God has called me to do. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. We got something exciting. Bring your attention to the screen. Amen. Leanne Beecham, upon the profession of your faith and obedience to the Lord, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Hey, thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.